And welcome back to the Stanford Football Insider Show, brought to you by KZSU Sports and the Stanford Daily. We're here in the basement of KZSU. I'm Vihan Lakshman, joined today by Nikki Sullivan. Nikki, how are you doing on this Friday afternoon? I'm doing pretty good, Vihan. It's a gorgeous day out there, ready for a little more home football cooking tomorrow. Excited to get back to Stanford Stadium. Yeah, weather absolutely fantastic today, as you mentioned. Stanford back home on the farm this week after picking up a road win in Tucson against the Arizona Wildcats last Saturday. A big win for the Cardinal, especially after a dreadful 10-5 loss to the Colorado Buffaloes the week before that. But Stanford gets back on track, not only in the win column, but also in the scoring touchdowns department, scoring four offensive touchdowns. Christian McCaffrey leads the way with three, as he also had a mini resurgence, scoring his first points since September 17th against USC. So it's been a while since we've seen McCaffrey score either. But when we're talking about that Arizona game, I think we have to start at the quarterback position. Stanford elects to make the switch. Keller Chris gets the nod over Ryan Burns. Plays the whole way. Nikki, what did you see out of Christ in that performance, and what are you looking for from him moving forward? I pretty much saw Ryan Burns, except with a better deep ball. I, I didn't really see that many other differences between the two. I mean, we still saw Chris have a lot of the same problems that Burns did. He would pick a receiver and just stare him down too much. He wasn't moving through his progressions particularly well. Um, I thought he moved in the pocket better than Burns did, too. Burns has had some troubles with that, and Chris had better ball security, which that's a little harder to measure, but I think he did a good job. There are some times where he got hit and did a good job of holding on to the ball, uh, but the the main difference was just the deep ball, and it doesn't show up in the stats because Michael Rector had maybe his worst game as a member of the Stanford Cardinal, dropping yeah. dropping two and missing another catchable one. And that would have made Chris Lyon look better, but it still wouldn't have made Chris Lyon look good. He was solid, and that was all Stanford needed. Yeah, Chris passed for 104 yards. He was 16 for 30 passing, I believe. So the numbers don't jump out at you as this is overly impressive, and that's I think, corresponds to what we saw from him in the game. He wasn't anything spectacular by any means you know he managed the game Stanford really got the running game going that's what made the difference in that one McCaffrey and Love healthy together for the first time all season made a huge difference and Shaw said it's not just the fact that we've got both of our weapons available it's the fact that they can practice together and they can install more of those McLovin plays as we like to say so it makes a difference in that sense too and the offensive line you have to give them a lot of credit they were down Johnny Casper, but Nate Herbig stepped in there as a true freshman and played extremely well. So there's a lot to like on the offensive side. And even with Chris, too, you see that all the physical tools are there. And you think that he's with another week under his belt of being a starter with the full game, that the sky is the limit for him in terms of ability. The question is, we know he can flip the ball 70 yards with a flick of his wrist. That's never been a doubt. The question is, can he make those pre-snap reads? Can he make those tight throws, those 15-yard outs, those plays you have to make within this offense. That'll be the question to watch for in my mind. We know he can do anything he needs to on a football field in terms of from a physical standpoint, but can he do what needs to be done from the standpoint of running this offense mentally too? And Because that's really, I think, where Ryan Burns sort of where they started to make the switch was just that the offense wasn't performing and you look at the quarterback typically in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good point. And I think the other thing is we've kind of talked about this, you know, both on the broadcast and in the sports you last night, but 
we're not probably going to get really any answers the rest of this season. I mean, Oregon State, Oregon, Cal, and Rice are bottom 20 defenses in all of college football. Some, I mean, Oregon and Cal especially just... They have no semblance of a run defense. Stanford's not going to have to pass the ball. It was weird that Chris ended up throwing 30 times in this game, in a game that Stanford controlled. And I think that was probably David Shaw trying to get him comfortable, letting him throw the ball, trying to kind of get him into a rhythm. Um, Because normally you do not see that. I think Stanford pretty much doesn't win. I think they've got one win and three losses coming into this game when Ryan Burns threw more than 20 passes in a game and Chris (laughs) goes out and throws 30. So, and then it was a game that Stanford controlled. So that was weird. And I think he's just trying to get him settled in. But the rest of the way, the defense is Stanford faces. They should just be able to hand off to McCaffrey or Love and they're going to get six or seven yards at a time. Yeah. I won my, one of my favorite stats from last season or in any point in the Kevin Hogan era, I should say, is that Hogan won just one game in his career when he threw the ball over 30 times. Keller Christ, in his first start, throws the ball 30 times and <laughs> gets the W. So there you go for, for Christ in his first start. I think there's a lot to like, but we just need more evidence, as you said. Will we get it this season? I think so to some degree. These defenses are certainly not the caliber that Stanford had to face in the first half of the season with the likes of UCLA, Washington, even Colorado. But with the new quarterback in there, there's something to be gleaned, I think. And if moving forward, going into next season, it'll be important to see who can take the reins of the job going into 2017-2018, excuse me, because right now there's still a lot of questions, and with the way things are shaping up, Stanford's going to be bringing back a lot of key contributors next season. The schedule flips into their favor with a lot of home games, so Stanford could really make a lot of noise next season, but the biggest question mark maybe at this point might be at the quarterback position, and if Keller Chris can do a good job with this audition he's got the last four games to to seize it for next season that could be critical too so still a lot to evaluate a lot to play for and another another interesting news bit I'll throw out there too is our colleague Do Hyung Park asked uh, Coach Shaw how's KJ Costello coming along could he see another name that could be in the conversation for starting this season and according to Do Shaw just said he's a freshman he's doing very well but he's a freshman so kind of answers that question for us probably no kj costello this season gonna have to wait until next year most likely to see him get a real shot at playing in a game yeah and i think it makes sense that kj costello is not going to play this year that that should never have really been an option for stanford i mean the development that he would have had to show over the first like over the off-season training camp and then the first couple weeks of the season to surpass Kristen Burns, it's just highly unlikely. I can't imagine that that would be a thing that he could have been able to do. This is such a complicated Stanford playbook, a complicated Stanford offense. And just as you were saying, one of the things about Christ was, was he going to be able to make the pre-snap reads and get Stanford into the right play, into a play play that could be successful it wasn't the physical tools it's probably similar for KJ Costello we know he's got physical talent but would he be able to get Stanford where they wanted to go I can't imagine as a true freshman he's going to be in better shape than that than someone like Keller Christ or Ryan Burns who have been here for three or four years yeah and that's the amazing thing too is the fact that Keller has been in the program for three years now but Shaw's talked about this week that he's really going into week two he's still an infant at the quarterback position in a lot of in a big sense of the of the nuances because you know once you go out there and you see game action and you're the starter and you're playing that whole way through 
that's when really a lot of those questions get answered a lot of those battle scars you develop that you can take moving forward we really saw that with Kevin Hogan he in his fourth year as a starter he really made that leap and took Stanford to the next level offensively so we're just going to see how can Chris build off of last week's performance what do you expect out of him against Oregon State this week I think he should have a better game I think part of part of the bad stats like I mentioned were the the rector deep balls but I think it was also David Shaw kind of forcing the issue a little bit, trying to get him to throw the ball a lot. And that's that's something that's I think is good. I think it was good for Shaw to do that and good to get Chris kind of into that groove. But I think he played decently, and I think this is another chance, like you said, another week. This is week two. That's a huge it's a huge increase in the amount of time that he's had where he is the number one quarterback. He knows that. He can build confidence. Um and the running game is just, it's going to be supportive again. He's going to have some time to make throws, I think. This is not a great Oregon State defensive front. It's it's probably average. Um, the Stanford offensive line is beginning to look like they're starting to find their way a little bit more. They're kind of definitely trending upward. I think I'll have some time. I think I'll have a pretty decent game. Well, we're definitely going to talk a lot more about Oregon State later in this podcast. Let's finish up looking back at Arizona we talked a little bit about Stanford reestablishing the run game. The offensive line seemed to get a bit of their mojo back. What did you see out of Christian McCaffrey, Bryce Love, and the running game that allowed them to get going for the first time in a while? I mean, I think it's a couple things. First, McCaffrey and Love are healthy, and I don't think McCaffrey has really been healthy for a while this season. I mean, you saw the fact that he was just banged up enough to miss Notre Dame. That gives you an idea of how many bumps and bruises and probably mild sprains he was dealing with just all over his body that he couldn't play. So I think he had been fighting through that for a while, and we probably hadn't really heard much about it. I think he's approaching more normal health for him. I think Love is too. And they just had more space to work with. I mean, part of it's a not strong defensive line for Arizona. They can give up a lot of rushing a lot of times. I think this was the fourth time in the last five games that they had given up over 200 yards on the ground to the team they were playing. The other game was against UCLA when Rosen threw for 350 against them. So... (laughs) It's a defense that Stanford can assert their dominance against, but it's still a really good sign that they did because we didn't really see that against a team like Notre Dame that had similar struggles along the defensive line. Price Love had a good game in that game, but McCaffrey and Love in this one were just way, way better. They combined for almost 250 yards on the ground, were just very efficient. And I think one of the biggest things for me, something that I've kind of noticed as the season has gone on, is Stanford running on first down. That's kind of their big success point. That's a huge play for them, right? Because it sets up second and third and manageable, or second and third and short. That's where they want to get those chunks of yardage. It makes it easier for Keller Christ to then lead the offense on second and third down. Look back against Arizona, Stanford averaged 10 yards per carry on first down. Wow. Part of that is that long touchdown for McCaffrey, the 45 yarder came on first down, but every single time they were successful. They ran 16 times on first down. Only once did they get stopped for no gain or a loss of yardage. And that's huge for them because it gets them off on the right foot. Definitely, especially because I remember looking back at the stats from. Colorado, Stanford struggled so much running the ball on first down. I think they had something like 10 or 11 rushes on first down for something like just as many yards. And it really told the story of that game. They got behind chains on first down, and then from there, they just could not do what they wanted to do offensively. That's a that's a really great stat you bring up, Nikki, about exactly what Stanford was able to do to get going. And you're right, when the Cardinal can get into second and 
third down where it's a manageable distance, that opens up so much. That's when they can take those shots deep, which they love to do. And now they have a quarterback that loves making those throws, and it just makes everybody's job easier. That's definitely an encouraging sign. And when you look at the fact that the defensive fronts the rest of the way, as you said, don't look as intimidating. The offensive line has a chance to maybe really get going too. Cal, for example, dead last right now in the FBS in rushing defense. Oregon State also in the bottom 20, as you said. Rice, Rice is Rice at this point. <laughs> so opportunities are there for sure. Oregon's defense too, we they've been much maligned. So that'll be, that'll be fun to watch for just to see can we get the Christian McCaffrey, Bryce Love running wild packages that we were looking forward to at the start of the season that just never really had a chance to happen because of the fact that both have been um, less than fully healthy for most of the season, the fact that Stanford struggled with run blocking at times. So that'll be something to watch out for too. Yeah, the best run defense that Stanford faces the rest of the way is Rice at 102nd in the nation. And I mean, that just gives you an idea of the fronts that Stanford is going up against. Cal going into this weekend's game against Washington, and this is not going to get better for them, is averaging 5.99 yards per carry allowed. <laughs> that is unreal numbers. That's like a good Christian McCaffrey game. I think McCaffrey averaged six yards per carry last year. So Cal is turning every running back into Christian McCaffrey from last year. That's, that's one way to contextualize the Cal defense. I like it. Let's talk about, let's talk about defense. Let's talk about the Stanford defense a little bit. They were up against a very shorthanded Arizona offense. We know Rich Rod has a great scheme. He can put up points with the best of them, but it's hard to do that when you're missing one of your best players in Nick Wilson. You've got quarterbacks coming back who are banged up as well. What did you see? So with the fact that Arizona wasn't at their best offensively, I think that's safe to say. What can you glean from the Stanford defense's performance as they once again hold an opponent to under 15 points, which they've done every game since Quentin Meeks returned against Notre Dame. Yeah, it's the third straight time that it, the opponent has scored exactly 10 points as Stanford is continually holding teams to that barely double-digit number. I mean, they've, they've been excellent. And like you said, Arizona doesn't have its full complement of pieces, and you have to take that into account, but Stanford did exactly what they needed to do considering that. Aside from like one or two big pass, pass plays, they shut down the Arizona passing attack. The three guys and Dawkins, Solomon, and Khalil Tate who came out at the very end combined to go 5 of 20 passing the ball. Stanford had more sacks than pass completions allowed. They they just shut <laughs> down the passing game. And Nick Wilson, I think, would have made a bigger difference in this game. You saw that Samajay Grant, he showed flashes, and there was some space for him yeah. to run sometimes. He wasn't bad. But he was a wide receiver, and he made mistakes. I mean... No one else can run for a loss of 23 yards on one play. That's what he, I mean, that, that just doesn't happen. If you're a running back, you know, I got to cut my losses and lose four or five yards on this play, not continue to try and spin out of it and go backwards and backwards and backwards. Those types of plays, that was the only obvious one, but I think there were a couple other times where his inexperience showed. He's been playing the position for one week. And I think if Arizona had had a better running back and a healthier guy like Nick Wilson, that could have made a difference, but still. Stanford's defense did exactly what they had to do. They shut down an Arizona offense that's got some talent and has put up points against some other teams. Yeah, in particular, who on the Stanford defense do you think has been really impressive during this stretch of, of dominance, really? They, they give up over 40 against the Washington schools and all of a sudden flipped the switch, held three, three teams to 10 points exactly. 
I mean, I think you said his name before, Quentin Meeks. He's really important. He's the, the difference between those two games. Him coming back just changes what Stanford can do defensively because their other corners, Alameen Murphy had a really solid game against Arizona, I thought. He had one bad penalty, but outside of that, he was excellent in coverage. Um, but he's not a number one corner. He's a very solid guy at the number two spot, I think, as is Frank Buncombe right now. But when Stanford doesn't have Quentin Meeks, they've got to stick Murphy and Alexander out there, plus Hoff Power and the nickel. And that just means that Stanford has a couple of different places where the offense can pick on. With Quentin Meeks out there, you have maybe one spot opposite him that the offense can try and go against, and they struggle. I mean, you saw the pro football focus stat coming out yeah. this week that Quentin Meeks has allowed the fifth lowest passer rating against of any quarterback in the nation. Quarterbacks would do better if they threw an incompletion on every single play than if they threw at Quentin Meeks right now. I mean, that's an incredible stat. It really, really is. You you expect a worse outcome than an incomplete pass if you consistently throw at Quentin Meeks. I remember you mentioned in your hot take last podcast that he might be the most important player on this defense when you think about his return signaled going from giving up over 40 points to giving up no more than 10. So it's a pretty amazing turn of events what happens it's obviously not just Quentin Meeks but he's been a huge part of the equation I think another defensive player who stood out in my mind well in general I thought the inside linebackers played really well against Arizona I thought uh, the combination of Sean Barton and Kevin Palma and Bobby Okereke were huge in that game too and that's an important sign we know Stanford was still looking for who could replace Blake Martinez, at least maybe in an aggregate sense, who are some three or four guys who could step into that role. And I thought this game was a nice showing for the inside linebackers, too. It seemed to be where they stepped up and finally, I think, took that step where they seemed to be playing within this scheme extremely well and just with everyone else on this defense hitting a groove right now where they have been outstanding. And I think it's it's fitting, too. Blake Martinez, he's a native of Tucson, Arizona. They go down there, and at the inside linebacker spot, they played an outstanding game. So encouraging signs all around. Lance Anderson, I said before the season, I think this was one of my hot takes, He's might be the best defensive coordinator in the country. At, at this point, after giving up the points they gave up against Washington Washington State, you thought they're just going to fall off the rails. But with the way they've turned it around, you know, big, big props to the coaching staff on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and that brings me to the other guy who, I mean, can get overlooked very easily, but is also huge for this team. That's Solomon Thomas. I mean, when you talk about Lance Anderson, one of the reasons it's so impressive, you're talking about a guy who right now has two consistent down linemen. Two. in Harrison Phillips and Solomon Thomas. The other guys in Dylan Jackson, Eric Cotton, Kamatule, Wadi, they just haven't stepped up so far this year. And they're, they've been quality depth pieces, but they're not guys you want out there on a play-to-play basis. And Anderson has crafted a excellent defense with two down linemen. Part of that is because one of those guys is Solomon Thomas. He's got a sack in four straight games now. He's got seven sacks on the season. He's just been a monster over the past month and has really stepped up. Uh, and I think part of that is it. He was just trying to do too much for this Stanford team, and there was no way. He was getting double-teamed when Quentin Meeks was out because no one was scared of the outside linebackers for Stanford. Arizona knew they could win one-on-one battles on the outside, so Thomas was just consistently getting double-teamed. Stanford couldn't rush anyone else because they had to drop guys into coverage. That's why his stats, I think, were a little bit low early in the season. But pretty much since Quentin Meeks is back, you saw him have 12 tackles and a sack and a half against Notre Dame. Seven t- tackles, two and a half for loss, and a sack and a half against Colorado, and then 
two and a half more tackles for loss and a sack and a half against Arizona. Just monster numbers for him. He is huge for Stanford. Absolutely. And as Shaw said after the Colorado game, it was a very depressing press conference, but maybe the one positive line he said, I don't think there's a better defensive player in the country right now than Solomon Thomas. And there are some people in this in this large nation of ours who could <laughs> make an argument, but the fact that he's in the discussion says a lot about where he is and he's only a junior as well, so and he's still, you know, growing, which is a scary thought. He's only gonna get better. All right. And let's put a wrapper on this Arizona game. Any final thoughts before we shift our attention to the game tomorrow? 12.30 p.m. against the Oregon State Beavers. The one final thing I will say is Jake Bailey continues to be an excellent oh, yeah. punter. I think he's one of the top three to five punters in the nation right now. I think he now has seven punts that have been down inside the five-yard line, which is just ridiculous as a stat. He continues to be excellent, and that is a very, very big secret weapon for Stanford. Yeah, Cardinal have recorded three safeties this season. One was sympathy giveaway safety from Colorado, <laughs> but the point is, you might ask why has Stanford all of a sudden seen an uptake in safeties this season? Part of it might be just a bit of a fluky thing, but also, I think you can point it to Stanford has Jake Bailey and other teams do not. He, The fact that he has flipped the field position battle in the way he has, has provided the Cardinal with these opportunities. It's not only the fact that they've gotten those three safeties, it's been the fact that they've had opportunities for a couple more over the course of the season. He's been a real weapon. He played last season as a freshman, right? He was he did he handled kickoffs, but he was still as well, I think, developing and now thanks to the tutelage of Coach Pete Alomar, he's at a point where he has been dominant. So another good special teams outing for Stanford too. That's good that you brought that up. That's something that often gets overlooked, but oh but Jake Bailey, he won after the Colorado game. He won the National Punter of the Week award in a loss. But I guess, you know, in losses like that, that's where punters showcase <laughs> their stuff. So there you go. Good for good for Jake Bailey, too. He He's really come along. And all right, let's, let's talk about those Beavers who are coming into Stanford Stadium this Saturday. This is year two for them under head coach Gary Anderson. They're coming off of... A loss to Washington State where they raced out to a huge lead and then the Cougars came out of nowhere, stormed back, and put up points in a hurry. So the Beavers have been an interesting story this season. They, again, have struggled in conference play, but they did pick up a huge win against Cal. They won 47-44 in a shootout. So we know they're capable of scoring points. We know that there's still a work in progress, though, in a large sense. What's your, what's your initial take on where Oregon State is right now? They're still a level below. I think in some ways, maybe they're similar to Colorado kind of last year. Not necessarily that they'll make the same jump next year, but they're a team that is clearly in the bottom half, bottom third of the Pac-12 right now, but is still somewhat dangerous. And if things fall right, they can absolutely challenge a team like Stanford. I mean, you saw them challenge Washington State, who's one of the two teams who's undefeated in conference play. You saw them challenge Utah a few weeks previously. They can make good teams play very, very tough. Um, but they, they just don't have the consistency right now to do that a lot of the time. They're on their backup quarterback. Their defense just doesn't have a bunch of depth in it, and there, there aren't that many playmakers on their defense. They're not the guy who you can just rely on to step up when you really need it right now. Yeah, in 
the Mike Riley years, I always remember Oregon State played Stanford extremely tough every single year. It's a little early to make any generalizations about where they are to this new coaching staff, but if you can, you can. You might be able to say that this is just a team that, against good competition, against rivals in their division or in the conference, they, they tend to bring something. So we'll see if, if that's the case here, but I, I agree with you. If you sleep on this team, they can certainly light you up on the scoreboard, very similar to last year's Colorado team, as you mentioned. A great quote I, I read about Colorado's rise was the fact that they followed the progression of any team in a rebuilding project. It's first you you lose big, and then you lose close, and then you win close, and then you win big. Colorado right now probably in the in the win close category, but they are certainly on the ascent. Oregon State right now, I I put them in the in the lose close category after they were in the the lose big category last season. So they're certainly coming along. They've they've got some players. Ryan Nall. At running back returns, he's somebody Stanford fans might remember as a player who just always seems to have a great game against the Cardinal. In general, what do you think Oregon State needs to do to give Stanford a real challenge in this one? I think on offense, they need to be able to run the ball with a guy like Ryan Nall. He was able to run against Wazoo. He had 130 yards and two touchdowns on the ground, another touchdown through the air. If they can consistently pound the ball against this Stanford defensive front, Stanford has shown problems against that. Again, they have two down linemen that they feel comfortable playing. Other teams can get some push against that Stanford defensive line. And Phillips and Thomas can't do it all day. So if they can establish some run early, that's going to give their guy who's at quarterback, Marcus McMarion, who's the backup behind Daryl Garrettson, who's out for the rest of the year, give him a little time. I think that happened against Washington State. Oregon State established the run. McMarion was able to throw with a little more consistency. They've got some dangerous guys out at wide receiver. Probably recall Seth Collins, who was the quarterback last year for Oregon State. He's now their leading receiver so far this year. And they've got guys like Victor Bolden and Jordan Villeman who have some talent and you know, if they get the ball in space, they can be dangerous. So it starts establishing the run game, get something going in the passing game, and just on the defensive side of the ball, you got to stop the run with Christian McCaffrey. Make Keller Christ beat you if you're Oregon State. Yeah, let's talk about the matchup of the Stanford offense versus this defense. We know Stanford's going to try running the football. They do that regardless of the circumstances. Let's say that Oregon State is able to slow down Christian McCaffrey and Bryce Love to some degree. If you're if you're the Stanford offensive coaching staff and you're in the position of calling plays, what do you do in that situation? Do you trust Keller Chris to throw the ball 30 times again like he did last week? I think you can, and I think the secondary isn't great for Oregon State. And also early, they're going to be missing one of their starting outside linebackers in Bright, Uguebu, who's an important player for them. He got ejected last week against Washington State, so he will miss the first half of this game. I think Stanford can pick those routes under over the middle. You know, the underneath throws to guys like Dalton Schultz, Greg Tabwata, Trenton Irwin. Make Keller Chris make those throws. You don't want to have to make him throw the ball downfield too much. At least he can go deep sometimes, but the, the routes where I don't really want to see him are the kind of 15 or 20 yards down the field. That's where he hasn't really shown as much touch. I think if you make simple throws over the middle, quick out routes for guys like Irwin, just over the middle dump offs to Dalton Schultz, I think you can get some consistent ball movement there. And once you start to do that a little bit, the linebackers have to begin to fall back a little bit so they can cover that area. That's going to open up the run game a little more if it struggles early for Stanford. 
Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> Who has really been the strength of the Stanford receiving core? And that's been Trent Irwin. He's been, we didn't talk about him earlier in our recap of last week, but he once again led the team in receiving. He has been a special player. He's really showcased it this season. He's a crisp route runner, and that's what you can leverage. You know Dalton Schultz will find the soft spots up the middle. You know Irwin will get open and run those timing routes outside. And when Stanford can establish that, even if they don't run the ball effectively, which I think they can do in this matchup, they they almost need to. If they can't do it now against these defenses, when will they ever be able to do it? But with the fact that Stanford should be able to run the ball reasonably well, with the fact that they've got players who can make life easy for a quarterback with those short throws, that opens up to the deep balls too. I think uh, that might be uh, this might be like a premature hot take i'm still working on what i want to say <laughs> as we enter that segment shortly but i think in this game keller chris connects on a 40 plus yard touchdown pass i think he's just got so much talent when it comes to making those throws and i think this is a matchup where if stanford can set up that play with the play action pass with just the flow of the game they should be able to hit one of those yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. That that might sneak into my hot take there somewhere too. I'll have to have to think about that a little bit more. But I mean, this is a team that Stanford can succeed against and should succeed against. They come in as more than two touchdown favorites in this game. The line has been holding steady with them around fourteen and a half, fifteen point favorites. This is a game they should win. They're back at home. It's an early kickoff. I don't expect there to be a lot of fans there. I mean, if you didn't show up for the homecoming game against Colorado, what's going to make you show up against Oregon State now? I don't think it's going to be a packed house for them, but I don't think they need that. I mean, that's not going to be the deciding factor. The crowd can come in if it's a close game. This really should not be a close game for Stanford. I could see Oregon State keeping it close, but I think also they had their chance last week against Washington State. Wazoo came into that game sleepwalking a little bit. I think probably overlooking Oregon State, and Oregon State made them pay. I think they scored on their first two or three drives of the game and just got out early, but from there, Washington State dominated. And you can't forget those first couple drives, but I think Stanford has seen that. They know Oregon State is going to come out hot. I think the Cardinal are ready for it, and I think when Oregon State can't score early, Stanford will, and I think Stanford's going to be able to walk away with this one. There you go. That's 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 Nikki's prediction with this one. I'll, we'll get specific scores in a second. And before we before we make our move over to the hot take department, any last thoughts on this matchup? Who? What do you think are the keys for both sides in terms of the matchups they need to win in this game? I think for Stanford, it's the interior of the offensive line. Interesting. If Stanford can get push with Big Island, Nate Herbig, who had an excellent start in his first game and is now also tied for the team lead and forced fumbles so far this year, <laughs> hopefully he doesn't get another chance in this one because that would mean a Stanford turnover. Uh, but I think if he can get push, Jesse Burkett, whose name we haven't said a lot so far this year, which is probably a good thing given kind of the criticism the line has been taking, and whatever the other guard position is, whether Johnny Caspers is back and maybe Herbig slides over, whether it's Faneca in there, there's kind of some question marks about what exactly the line's going to look like. If you can get pushed with that interior, Stanford's just going to be hard to stop in this one. Yeah, I, I, I think it's it's interesting that once again we just don't know what combination they're <laughs> going to try it out there. But for the first time in a while, there doesn't seem to be concern about that because Herbig has just been a revelation. I think Herbig and Faneca, the fact that they have been able to come in as people not in the first in the starting five to start the season but coming in due to injuries at at guard have been have been huge Stan- Stanford's 
they've dropped guards like flies when you look at uh, Bright missing time and Casper's now missing time. They've had to do some shuffling there, but with the fact that Herbing and Fanica have been able to step in there and keep up that same level, if not in the Arizona game, play better than this line has looked in previous weeks, that's a huge sign. It's been the fact that they have been able to find those combinations thanks to the depth that have been able to get the job done. That's that's definitely a good thing to point to. I'm going to say for Stanford in this matchup, really going to look at the the secondary and the defensive line, and those two are very closely related. We always talk about coverage sacks are important, and then also getting that pressure leads to turnovers. Stanford this season, once again, has not been that adept at forcing turnovers this season. I think that's something you want to see from this team moving forward. The defense has been outstanding. It's hard to nitpick so much. That's been one of the more amazing things about these Lance Anderson coach defenses since 2014 is they have been very good for the most part. Maybe 2015, they took a bit of a step back, but they've been doing it without really forcing turnovers. That, that'll be something to watch out for in this matchup. I think for Stanford, you look at trying to jump out to a lead that can just crush that sort of buzz of an upset, and I think turnovers could be a huge part of that equation too. So let's let's move on now to the hot take department. I'll uh, I'll give you a second to to think about what you want to say, Nikki. In the meantime, I can I can share a quick quick story about since we're playing Oregon State this week. Might as well tell an Oregon State related story. Last year for KZSU, we made our way up to Corvallis to broadcast the game with between the Beavers and the Cardinal. That was that was a fun game too. Stanford. They lost Kyle Murphy, Azisha too, and Brennan Scarlett at halftime. It was close at half. You were really worried that this could be a huge upset game on the road. This was before we really knew how Oregon State season would play out and the fact that they would just completely fall apart down the stretch. It really seemed like a game Stanford could lose. But anyway, that's not really the story. The story was the fact that before the game, we had a chance to play some football on the field. We we brought a ball down there and tossed it around. And then afterwards, the Oregon State Stadium Facilities Department has a great tradition of allowing fans to come out down on the field after the game and just play around, throw throw some balls around, and just hang out. And I thought that was just such a cool tradition, the fact that you know you watch a game and then you finish up and then you just to get to go down on the field and hang out. It's a, they, they do have a turf field as opposed to, say, Stanford Stadium that – plays on grass so that's a little bit different wouldn't work everywhere in the country but the fact that they had that tradition was just so cool and you could just hang out on a division one college football stadium and run around and make some one-handed catches in the end zone as (laughs) as we tried to do without much success so i guess the what i'm advocating for here is i think more schools should do that and i think the the two arguments is one your fans will love you it's just a really, really nice tradition and a nice way to give back to the fans. And more importantly, what is there a better way to keep people in their seats for the full <laughs> 60 minutes than teasing them with the carrot of you get to play on the field afterwards? So I'll just say props to Oregon State. They they do it right. They're one of my favorite teams in the Pac-12 now, if not the nation, because they 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 have a lot of chill. Most teams are very, very uptight about this sort of thing, but... I think their attitude is just life's too short. You know, have some fun. Let's let's make college football fun. So props to them. I and I really enjoyed being up there in Corvallis last year. So excited for 
to watch this game again this year as they renew this Pac-12 North crucial matchup. Absolutely. All right, I'm ready for my hot take. Uh, this is a two-parter. Uh, they're they're related though. So I think that Keller Christ will have the best game by a Stanford quarterback so far this season, surpassing Ryan Burns on his 10 for 10 start against Kansas State. Maybe he doesn't complete his first 11 passes, <laughs> but I think he will have the best game that a Stanford quarterback has had this season. And I think it will include a deep ball touchdown, not to Michael Rector but to Isaiah Brant Sims, who catches his first touchdown pass. He has speed. I feel like at least three times this game, you should put Isaiah Brant Sims out there on a go route and let Killer Chris throw the ball 60 yards in the air because you have a guy with a great arm and you have a guy with great speed. Maybe you catch Oregon State not ready. Maybe you just catch someone who's slow enough that Isaiah Brant Sims can outrun him. I think that happens in this one, and I think that's how Stanford's going to come to victory. I like it. That was You sold the plot twist great there. At at the end, I, I, w- I was thinking the other day too. Michael Rector is not coming back next year. He's a fifth year senior. He is done. Who's going to be that deep threat for Stanford next season? Trent Irwin is an outstanding receiver, but he doesn't have Michael Rector speed. You got to think Isaiah Brand Sims is the leading candidate at that position to be that burner downfield who can stretch it. So why not give him some reps this season? That could be. A wonderful pairing if that that Chris Arm, Brant Sims speed, if that comes together, could be something to watch out for. I like that hot take a lot. As for me, I I don't know where to go with this one. I think I'm going to say, I'm I'm just going to go crazy with this one. I think Christian McCaffrey scores four touchdowns in this game and puts up over 300 all-purpose yards. I say he, play, he plays angry and... He reminds everyone who forgot that he is still, you know, not a bad football player. I think we can say that. He is going to have an outstanding game and force people to talk about him again. And remember that this Christian McCaffrey guy, he can play football. Counting counting a potential bowl game, McCaffrey's going to need to average about 375 or 400 all-purpose yards a game to break the career all-purpose yards record currently held by Damaris Johnson. So maybe he's getting off and beginning to you know, at least put that thought in people's minds with the defenses coming up, a late run to try and topple that. Highly unlikely because he needs, I think, 1,800, 1,900 all-purpose yards over five games, but... But this, I, I think that's a great one, too. I think this could absolutely be a game where he just goes off even more so than he did last week. Yeah. All right. I guess predictions now, score predictions. Yeah. So clearly Stanford is having one offensive touchdown via Isaiah Brandt-Sims. I think they <laughs> will have more as well. I think they get over 30 points again. I think the defense shuts down Oregon State early, and Oregon State just can't throw the ball to get back in it. Stanford 38, Oregon State 13. 38. I've heard a lot of people going high. 38 might be the highest I've heard so far. No one wants to say 40. That seems to be a bit of a bit of a, a bit of a sacred ground you don't want to cross just for whatever reason. Maybe not trusting the offense so much yet. I very much don't trust this offense yet up to this point. Except now I'm in the awkward position of in the daily I predicted Stanford would score 23, but then now I just told you McCaffrey <laughs> would have four touchdowns by himself. Even if Conrad Ukrapina missed every extra point, <laughs> That would still give Stanford more than 23 points, right? Am I doing the math? Yes, you I, are. I am. Okay. Unfortunately, you are. <laughs> Just making sure. It's been it's been a long week, but um, yeah. So I'm in, I'm in a bit of a conflict now. I'm, I'm going to say the hot take. I'm going to leave that on its own. That like hot takes like exist in their own universe. So I'm going to stick with my daily prediction just for the sake of consistency. I said Stanford 23, 
Oregon State 13. Also had the 13 in there. I think the Cardinals are going to move the ball well, but it's going to be, you know, three field goals from Conrad Ucrapina in this one. So Stanford wins comfortably. They eat up clock. Very similar to the first two games of the season where we saw Stanford kind of shut things down in the second half, run the ball, kill time, shorten the game. I think it's going to be one of those outings where the margin of victory may not indicate just how well Stanford plays in this one. It's going to be one of those games, I think. I think that's that's very possible. I don't think I have the confidence in Stanford's offense yet. I think I just have less confidence in Oregon State's defense right now. And that's fair. Part of that is wishful thinking. I, I would love if Keller Christ had a big game and Stanford got something out of the quarterback position for one of the first times this year. But we'll see. We'll find out. Tomorrow, 12.30, pregame show at 11.30 on KZSU. Yeah, that's under 24 hours from now. So tune in bright and early, KZSU 90.1 FM at 11.30. You can catch Nikki, Michael, and Pedro on the call from Stanford Stadium. It's going to be a fun one. Second to last home game of the season. We're And we're really getting down to it. It's It feels just like yesterday when we started this whole thing off against Kansas State. But now... We're approaching the end. It's November football, so tune in. Should be a fun time once again on the farm. For Nikki, my name is Vihan Lakshman. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. We'll be back with you very shortly tomorrow morning for more Stanford football talk and calling the actual game. So stay tuned for more. Have a great rest of your day.